0: the River Fellowship podcast, this week lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us to Joshua 2. When God begins to move, we want to be sure we are positioned and ready to move with him. How we respond to him and his movement makes all the difference. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, let's look at Joshua chapter two. We are journeying with Joshua into the promised land. Last week we started in chapter one with the theme, get ready, because God's about to move. Well, chapter two, the theme is, God is on the move. He said, get ready, because he's gonna start moving. So now we're gonna look where he actually begins uh, to move the children and start to take some action. So let's read the story here, chapter two, verse one. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went, So go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sahan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. What we see in the story is Joshua sends out two spies to Jericho, and he says, go especially to Jericho. Why especially Jericho? Jericho. Well Jericho was the only important city on the south side there of Judea. And it became a major thoroughfare up into the highlands of Judea. So the only way to get up there was through Jericho. So they had to conquer Jericho if they were gonna move forward into the promised land. So in the story we see that these spies hook up with Rahab. Rahab receives them, she protects them, She uh, begins to give them information about what's going on with the people and in the country. And then she makes a deal with the spies for her safety, for her rescue, for her salvation. Then what we didn't read is she ends up helping the spies escape. And then later, the spies go back to Joshua and tell them everything that's taken place. Now, this is a great story. And like any great story, there's a great plot and there are great characters. So what I want to do this morning is just kind of go through some of these characters in the story and see if we can make some spiritual application and see what the Spirit might say to us this morning. The first character in verse 1 that we're introduced to is Joshua. It says, Joshua sent two spies into Shittim to look over the land. The first question we have to ask is, why did he send spies into the land? God had already given him the land. God had already promised victory. If you go back to chapter 1, we see in verse 2, God told Joshua, I'm about to give the land to the Israelites. Verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Verse 4, he reveals how vast this country is going to be. In verse 5, he says, no one will be able to stand up against you. Then in verse 6, he says, you will lead the people to inherit the land. So God's already promised victory and promised the land. So why send in spies? Was he fearing? Was he doubting? Was he having second thoughts? Was he not sure God exactly knew how to handle this on his own? I don't think that's anything going on. I think he introduces a principle for us, and that is God's involvement does not negate our investment. God's involvement does not negate our investment in the process. Now, it is true in Scripture, true in life, that there are times when God fights our battles for us. We have nothing to do with it. We are totally helpless. We have no part to play. We can't contribute at all. We are in such a place that God has to do it all alone and He fights for us. But more generally and more often in scripture, we see that God fights with us. In other words, we have a part to play. It's still His power, it's still His plan. He's still the one leading the charge, but we play a part in it. In other words, our God-given abilities and talents, God wants to use. He wants to use us as part of the system and part of the plan. So, preparation, skill, talent, knowledge, wisdom, planning, strategizing, all of that in us is a part of what God wants to use. In other words, rarely do we just sit and do nothing and just expect God just to take care of it. Here's a, a, a simple example. On Sunday mornings in worship services, we want the Spirit of God to move. We want the Spirit of God to speak to us and to teach us. We want to experience God. We want something to happen that's dynamic and spiritual in each of our hearts. So let's say, Tyler, and we can make the whole worship team as part of this, but Tyler comes up, we want to lead music and we want the Spirit to move in music, but Tyler doesn't practice. Praise team, they don't practice. They don't know what songs they're gonna sing. They haven't even looked at any songs. They don't know what key the songs are going to be. They haven't played any instruments. They get here, nobody's taking the effort to put the song lyrics up on the screen. Nobody's playing. We're just going to show up, and they just come here one Sunday morning. They all just pick up an instrument, and they say, OK, let's worship. That's a multi-car pileup about to happen. It's a train wreck. Let's say, for me, I want to come give a word, and I want the word to be from God. and so. I just show up on Sunday morning and say, "Okay, God, speak to me. I haven't studied. I haven't prepared. I hadn't prayed. I hadn't read the word. I hadn't researched. I hadn't done anything. I've just shown up and said, "Okay, Spirit, it's your your show. Now, some of you are going to say, maybe, what about Matthew 10? When it said, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. I'll say two things. One, that was a very specific case when Jesus was sending the 12 to a very specific mission. But I'll say this also. You're right, there are times when that happens. There are times when God's Spirit supernaturally just comes from nowhere and speaks truth. There have been times I've preached that I've actually said things I hadn't even thought of until I just said it. There are times I've counseled or been sharing Christ. It's probably happened to you too when you're talking to someone and you you just get wisdom and insight and you're able to share that you had no idea where that came from. The Spirit works like that. But more often, He works in the midst of our preparation in the midst of what's going on. So really what we're we're seeing here with Joshua is that God expects us to join him in what he's doing and using our gifts and our talents and our abilities. So Joshua's just being thorough and wise. He's not being ungodly or or fearful. Verse one, we see the second character's coming. Those are two spies. To me, the spies are kind of interesting because they're sent into enemy territory. When they get in there, they find themselves in a brothel. So now they are in an immoral environment and they're in a hostile environment. And then they learn very quickly that they're hunted people because the king now is after them. So they're on the city's most wanted list, if you will. Then they discover that they're in the context of this this immoral Gentile woman who could expose them and and turn them over to the king at any point. But not only that, now they find themselves on a roof hiding under stalks of flax for their life. This has become very real. Remember, this is a real story. We like to spiritualize it now, but this was a real story. They're just going out to do some easy recon to kind of look at the land, see what's going on, come back and report. But now they find themselves being hunted for their life, the life and death situation. And they're hiding under this flax, thinking at any moment, they're gonna be discovered and they would be tortured and they would be executed. So maybe in their mind, they're beginning to think, what in the world is going on? Where is God in this thing? What's happening? Does God even know what's going on? Is He even gonna be able to get us out of this situation? Several years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in Odessa. And my first summer, I took our students to uh, an associational youth camp. So there were several churches at this youth camp. And each church had their own little cabin. And every cabin or dorm, however you want to call it, when you come in, there's a big open area, meeting room, and then on each side are a, a dorm. So the guys would stay on one side, the girls would stay on the other side with the meeting room in the middle. Well, midweek, I'm obviously staying with the guys. Midweek, about 2 o'clock. In the morning, I get awakened by this, just this huge banging and this hitting. It, it, it sounds like the roof is falling in. It sounds like there's 50 people in there just fighting and throwing people into the walls and the door. It's just this ruckus. It's unbelievable. I get up, of course, I'm, you know, I've been asleep. I'm, you know how you are when you just kind of get woken up like that. I'm in a daze. I don't have my glasses on. I don't know what's going on. I just hear all this stuff going on. My first thought is, my guys are doing something crazy. So I start looking at my guys, but all of my guys are in bed. They're asleep. So then I think, it's the girls. (laughs) You know, where are the girl sponsors? And the girls are out here doing stupid stuff. So now I'm putting my youth pastor hat on. I'm fixing to go out there and do some business. So I run into the door, and I'm groggy. i don't have my glasses on. I swing this door open, and I stop in my tracks because nose to nose, face to face, a few inches away, is a donkey. This donkey has been kicking around and running around in this dorm, but somehow heard I was coming, and we just face to face. So for a few seconds, I'm just staring at this donkey, just terrified. <laughs> Had to go, no, never mind. So I shut the, I shut the door. I'm grogging on my glasses. I think, well, I'm going to go get my glasses. Maybe it's not a donkey. Maybe it's just a really ugly person. I don't know. <laughs> so I go get my glasses, and I come back and open the door again, there's that donkey still standing. And it's a big donkey. We're talking eye to eye. So I go back, this time I go get my intern. (laughs) If you don't want to do something, just make your intern do it. So the intern kind of said, I said, Mike, there's a donkey in here. I Check this. Anyway, he goes looking and says, sure enough, it's a donkey. He was kicking, trying to get out. Anyway, long story short, I have two problems. One, I have no idea how that donkey got in there. Number two, I have no idea how I'm going to get that donkey out of there. And I can just imagine these spies thinking the same thing. How in the world did we get in here and how in the world are we going to get out of here? Maybe for some of us have there been those times when you've been in a very difficult situation. You're in a hostile environment. And you're in a place that you're saying, God, what are you doing? And how are you going to get me out of this? It seems like sometimes when we get in some very difficult situations, it's almost like we think God's been taken by surprise. God was caught off guard. God didn't know that this was gonna happen and so he finds us in this situation so now he's trying to scramble. Okay, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna take care of this situation? How am I gonna get those spies down? And in our situation, how am I gonna take care of this situation? That's not the way God is at all. Deuteronomy 31.3, God will cross over before you, ahead of you. He had already told Joshua that God's going in the Promised Land before them. He's paving the way, he's clearing the way, he's preparing and making the way. Was entering that brothel and talking with that specific woman, the spies, was that an accident? Was that a coincidence? Was that just a real fortunate happenstance? No. It was a God thing. God had prepared the way for the spies. He had gone in before them and he led the spies to the very person, the one person that was willing and able to help them and the one person that had uh, had a, a access, a great cover and access for escape. Here's the principle, a couple of principles for us to remember. One, God's never taken by surprise. He knows your situation. I don't know what situation you might be in this morning or what situation you might, may find yourself in in the near future. But God's not surprised by that. He's got a plan, He's got you in His hand. The second principle is God's always preparing the way when you're on mission for Him. He sent the spies on mission and He had gone before. The same is true for you. Anytime that we're on mission for God, He has already prepared the way. He's got everything under control. So here's the great lesson from the spies. When we're willing to go when God says go, when we're willing to go where God says go, when we're willing to be faithful and obedient, even when it takes us into enemy territory, even when it puts us in a hostile environment, even when it's a daunting task, rest assured that he leads the way, he prepares the way He's going to open doors for you. He's gonna bring people into your path that's going to help you in that situation. He's not surprised, he's got it under control and he's gonna take care of it. You don't have to worry. We see a third character introduced in verse one. This is Rahab. Now Rahab plays a major part in this story and she's an unlikely hero. Rahab is an immoral, adulterous, prostitute, Gentile woman. Now, that's not a judgment. That's simply who she was. This isn't in scripture, so I have no basis for this whatsoever, it's just my mind wondering. I wonder if sometime before this account that we see her in Joshua 2, if somewhere before that, weeks, months, maybe years before, did she ever stop and ask herself, man, how did I get here? What am I doing? How did I get to this place. When I was a little girl, I never planned on growing up and being a a prostitute. How did I get here? I wonder what events led to that outcome for her. It makes me wonder for some of us, maybe presently or maybe sometime you've found yourself in a place and you've wondered, man, how did I get here? (laughs) How did I get so far away from God? How did I get so cold? the things of God. How did this sin get so wrapped and entangled in my life? How did I get to this place? For me, Rahab, no one would have picked Rahab out of a crowd and said, that's the person God's gonna use to impact the world. <laughs> He'd have been the last one picked on that team. Maybe you're here this morning and that's what you think. If God were to come and say, I'm gonna use somebody to have a tremendous impact in my kingdom and the lives of others, maybe you think I'm the last one he's gonna pick. Maybe it's because you don't think you have skill or talents or gifts, you don't have the influence, whatever, I just don't have what it takes to do that. Or maybe it's because you think, you don't know my story, Daryl. If you knew my story, you wouldn't understand why God could not use me or why God would not want to use me. The story here in Rahab is that's not true. God uses anybody and everybody who's willing to give their life and say, use me. We see that story in Rahab. But also with Rahab, it's interesting. Technically, she was a traitor. She was committing treason. And if she had been caught, she would have been tortured and executed. So she had to know that. She had to know the risk. She had to know the cost. She had to know the consequences. But she decided to help them anyway. Why? I think it's because God had done an incredible work in her heart and in her life. Now where do I get that? Look in verse nine. She makes a great statement of faith. She says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. She talks about, that. I know that God is the God in heaven, that God is the God above. She makes this great statement of faith where she says, I know, a statement of faith, I know God is Lord. She says, the Lord. She doesn't say, I know that your God, your deity, that person that you worship, this entity, your army, she uses the Lord. Something's gone on in her life where she says, I know, that the Lord has given this land to you. God had done something in her life that completely, radically changed her life forever. How do I know that? Because if you go in the New Testament, Rahab's mentioned three times in the New Testament. One is James 2.25. It says, Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Hebrews 11.31, she's mentioned in this chapter of faith with all the great heroes of the faith. And in Matthew 1, 5, she is in the genealogy of Jesus. She is married and she's now become part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So what we see taking place here in Joshua chapter two, in my opinion, before Joshua chapter two, because God was leading the way, God was preparing the way. At some point, God and and Rahab had had this encounter and this experience, and God was working in her heart and in her life, and at that point in Joshua two, she says, I'm ready, I'm following you, I know you're God and I'm yours, and from that point on, her life was radically changed forever. Is God awakening something in you? Is God quickening your spirit? Do you sense today that God may be wanting to do something in you? Maybe God's wanting to do something through you. Maybe you sense God's spirit wooing you and drawing you and tugging you to say, I want to use you in my kingdom's work. My encouragement is to say, okay, Even if it's a risk, even if it's a new step of faith, even if it's a new level of faith, do it. Why? Because that could be the very thing that radically changes your life forever. But we see another group of characters later in the story. I'm gonna call them the Jerichoans, people of Jericho, we're the Amarilloans. So these are the Jerichoans, and we see what's happening with the Jerichoans in verse nine. It says, a great fear, this is Rahab talking to the spies about her people and her, her city, and and the uh, surrounding the city. A great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country, not just in the city of Jericho but even around, everyone in this country, they're melting in fear because of you. Verse 11, when we heard of it, it is a reference to verse 10, everything that God's been doing. When we heard of this, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Verse 24, the spies report back to Joshua and they say all the people are melting in fear because of you. As I read that this week, I really started thinking about this concept of melting. It, 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 it kind of penetrated my thoughts for a while. It's a great word picture if you really kind of let your mind go. It literally means to dissolve or to consume. To, to drench, to waste away, and obviously the, the base meeting is talking about a substance, you know, if a substance just melts away. But the context here is talking about the inner man. Just like a substance just melts away and dissipates, the inner man is just melting. It's just washing away out of fear. The interesting question in my mind was, it says that the people melted in fear, but Rahab didn't. They heard the same report. They all knew exactly the same thing that was going on, but the people melted in fear, but Rahab didn't. Why? Let me illustrate something for you. Hope the fire marshal's not here. We're going to create a little fire here. We have a fire, and I've got two rods that I'm gonna stick into the fire. I don't want you to see what happens to these rods as I stick them into the fire. I'll do this one first. I hope you can see it. If not, maybe you can hear it. As we stick this in, very quickly, see that? Can you hear it? I mean, immediately, it just starts to melt. When you place it in, it's just melting. This rod, I'll put in the fire. It's not melting. And we could stay here forever (laughs) and it's not going to melt. In fact, not only is it not melting, but it's actually strengthening. It's hardening. So, why, with these rods, it's in the same fire, (laughs) one melts and one doesn't? Well, it's because these two rods, it's because of the makeup of the two rods. the the composition of the rods, if you will, the constitution of the rods. What's inside the rods makes all the difference in how they responded to the fire. Why did the people melt in fear and Rahab did not? Here's what I think. The Jerichoans saw God as the enemy, an enemy they couldn't defeat. Rahab saw him as Lord. The Jerichoans would not yield their lifestyle They would not surrender to what God was doing, but Rahab did. What this reminds us is that God is not the enemy. (laughs) When we see God as the enemy, we fear him. But when we see him as Lord, we trust him. When we see God as the enemy, we resist him. But when we see him as Lord, we yield to him. So are we fearing God this morning are we trusting him? Are you resisting him or are you yielding to him? Do you see God as being for you or do you see God as being against you? What we see here is that Rahab had great faith. The Jerichoans had great fear. And Rahab embraced what God was doing and embraced what God was calling her to do. The Jerichoans did not. So here's the principle. When God's moving, when God's working, we have a choice. We can join him or we can resist him. And when God's trying to move in your heart and move in your life and move in your situation, you can allow him to do his thing or you can resist him. You can respond in faith or you can respond in fear. You can respond to the fact that you think God is the enemy and trying to do something against you, or you can see him as Lord and he's trying to do something for you. There's one more item in the story, it's not a character, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. It's the scarlet cord, we didn't read about it this morning. But in chapter 18 we see the scarlet cord introduced and the story of the scarlet cord is that the spies told Rahab Everything we've talked about, your salvation, your rescue, everything we've talked about depends on the one fact that this scarlet cord must be tied in the window. You have to be in the room when we come to attack, the scarlet cord has to be in the window. If that's not there, you're not saved. So in verse 21, we see the first thing when the spies leave, she ties that scarlet cord on that window. Now in Old Testament, you see it in Leviticus 14, that the scarlet cord was a sign of cleansing. It was used in cleansing rituals in the Old Testament. If someone had an infectious skin disease, after they would be healed, they would get this scarlet cord and they would dip it in blood and there would be a ritual used with that. There were like mildew in a house that had been cleaned out and cleansed. They would get this scarlet cord and they would dip it in blood and they would use it in this cleansing ritual. We said earlier that part of this story is very spiritual about Jesus Christ. And this scarlet cord, It just is like a red light flashing, reminding us of the prophetic statement that everything revolves around the blood of the lamb. The scarlet cord represents Rahab saying, I trust in God. I've given my life to God. I've put my trust and my faith in him and the scarlet cord is making it possible for me to experience rescue and salvation. The same is true for us. There's only one way to be rescued and saved from what the enemy wants to do for us. There's only one way to enter into relationship with God, and spend eternity with Him, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks, have a great week.